even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 23, verse 4. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. We're in the middle of the series, Love God, Love People, which is a dive deeper into how to live out the great commandment found in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. Today, a continued look into loving God with our souls in a message titled, Hope When It Hurts. Here's Pastor Brian Jones. Hey, uh, would you join me in just thanking the choir for leading us this morning and their faithfulness? Just love what they bring. Uh, I do want to also brag on uh, Brookwood as well. Uh, I was supposed to go last Saturday to uh, help feed the homeless. I ended up uh, having a conflict, couldn't make it. But then uh, that Saturday as well, I got a, a text message um, of just the different ministries that are happening here. And one you might be aware of is there's a ladies' car care clinic that uh, those who may be falling on difficult financial times, our church comes around, provides car maintenance, oil, oil filters, uh, washes cars, and uh, I got some pictures of it. 21 women who are part of Brookwood were served last Saturday. Isn't that amazing? Just all the things that are going on at Brookwood. And... Uh, Honestly, I can't keep up with you, Brookwood. There's just too much stuff going on in a good way. And so can I just encourage you, encourage you, if you are a part of Brookwood uh, because of COVID or you're new and you haven't really got plugged in, you haven't found your place to serve, if I could just encourage you, um, some of us will never experience the full thrill of the Christian faith until we are actually using our gifts and being deployed by God. So no shame if you haven't, but if you haven't, you can go online, you can find different places to serve. There are so many amazing opportunities. Also, the information booth out there today, uh, you can find out more information as well. I invite you to do that, but I'm just so proud of the way that you guys have served and loved on the community. Now, we are in week four of a series called Love God, Love People. And uh, really, I've been saying this every week, but uh, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, were trying to trap him because they had 613 commandments from the Old Testament they were following. And so they try to trap him with this question, what is the most important commandment? Now, to their surprise, Jesus actually answers and he says to love God with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, and with your strength. Now today I'm supposed to be speaking on loving God with your strength, but one of the things I wanted to do is because I've just been getting such good feedback from this series that God's working and some things are resonating that I actually want to push this talk out on strength for, for two weeks. I'm going to be speaking on that uh, in two weeks. Next week, uh, we're going to have a time of worship on Mother's Day. And so dads, if you forgot, this is a friendly reminder. You have a week and Amazon does two-day shipping. So you, you're, you're in luck. But uh, we're going to have a time to worship, serve God next week. Uh, but this week, what I really felt led to do was stop down one more week on loving God with your soul. In fact, I spoke about this two weeks ago, but loving God with your soul means you love him with your affections and your emotions. One of the points that I made was that God wants to transform our souls by healing us in our pain. And uh, the, the truth is, is that uh, a lot of us in the culture we're in, we have an underdeveloped capacity for healthy biblical grief. And so if you're anything like me, the moment something hurtful happens, the moment something difficult happens, we just want to move fast. 
We don't want to feel those things. But the Bible calls us to healthy biblical grief. In fact, what's interesting is, is I've gone around and met with different groups as I've sat with people. One of the things I've noticed is there are a lot of people in this church that are walking through difficult things. There's a lot of people who are navigating some difficult seasons in their life. So what I want to do today is give you a theology of how to hope even when it hurts. Because as I've sat with people, I've, I've heard people who are grieving health realities. People who are grieving the loss of loved ones. There are people who are grieving family strains, marital conflicts. There are people in this room, and maybe you're one of those right now, that have a, a child that's falling away from the faith, and you grieve that. And you're hurting in the midst of that and you're wondering out of hope. There's people who have job loss and job transition and financial strain. And it doesn't take a lot of us to understand the culture we live in is overwhelmed with fear, worry, and anxiety. So how do we have a hope that will really help us in the middle of our hurts? Because the truth is every one of us is in one of three seasons. You're either in a season of pain, you're walking into a season of pain, or you're walking out of a season of pain, or maybe all three, and if that's you, happy Sunday. I'm sorry about that. But the truth is that pain is a reality for all of us, and if you're in a great season, enjoy that season. In fact, it's not spiritual to live in a season of grief if you're in a season of celebration, but I would say the same. If you're in a season of grief, God wants you to learn how to work through that grief in a healthy way that that thing doesn't mark you your entire life in an unhealthy way. And I thought this was especially relevant today because uh, some of you who've been around Brookwood for a while, you know that we suffered a tragic loss as a community this week. Uh, Jerry Fry, who was a founding member of Brookwood, actually uh, went to be with the Lord on Thursday. And uh, Jerry Fry was someone, he was close to Perry. He was a friend and like a mentor to Perry. I only knew Jerry for nine short months, but I can honestly say, I have never met somebody in nine months who has impacted me so richly in such a short time. In fact, I was telling my wife, I have three voicemails that I've saved. I usually delete voicemails. But Jerry was such a cheerleader and encourager that I actually saved those voicemails. And even this week after I learned that he had passed, I listened to those voicemails. And I grieved the fact that I wouldn't be seeing Jerry on Sunday. And Jerry's one of those guys that if you ever got around him, he just had a passion for life. That man had more passion at 84 than some people have in their 30s. Uh, Jerry was a guy who had a passion for people. There was no one that was a stranger very long with Jerry. In fact, one of the things I used to love is when he would walk in here, I would watch the room sort of shift as he came in here. And he made Brookwood really feel like a home. But the thing I am most grateful for Jerry is that he had a passion for Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of people who will be on the other side of eternity because of his faithfulness. And there's a lot of people who've been influenced. And so I'm convinced that uh, if he's not the mayor already in heaven, give him a few short weeks and he'll be running things. <laughs> but it really is a time to grieve in the midst of this. And so again, if you're in a good season, great, enjoy that season. Take this sermon, file it away. But if you're in a season of difficulty, if you're in a season where things aren't as they were intended to be, and you can honestly say it is not well with your soul because many of us know what it's like to come in here and sit, but our souls are not at peace. In fact, our souls are spinning with worry or thoughts, and we cannot do what the psalmist says, which is to be still and to know that he's God because something isn't right. Then what I want to do is just give you some helpful tools, some principles in seasons of hurt that will give you a hope. I want to do this from Psalms 23. Psalms 23 is arguably one of the most well-known passages in the Bible. 
David is actually fleeing from a man named Saul. He doesn't know if he's going to be killed. He doesn't know if there's going to be enough food. And so he writes this psalm, and he starts off in Psalms 23.1, and this is what he says in Psalms 23.1. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The first principle I want to give you, if you're going to have a hope when it hurts, is you have to remember God is both powerful and personal. You have to remember that God is both powerful and personal. Psalms 23, 1, gives two important words in here. First is the word Lord. The word Lord here in, in Hebrew is actually the word Yahweh, and it means mighty. It means powerful. It means sovereign. It means king. It means ruler of all. And so it's a picture of a God who's powerful. But notice what it says. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, this would have been shocking to people in this culture, the Hebrew culture, because shepherds were not highly viewed. In fact, shepherds were second-class citizens. Did you know that shepherds in Jesus' day and in the Old Testament culture, their testimonies would not even hold up in a court of law because they were not viewed highly? And so God is willing to be associated as a shepherd. Why? Because he wants us to know he is not just Lord, he is also personal that he is a God who is unlike us, but he is a shepherd who is with us. He is a God who is mighty, but he is a shepherd who is kind. He is a God who is king, but he is a shepherd who is kind. He is powerful, but he is a shepherd who is personal. And you need both of these. Because if you don't see God as powerful, when you're walking through a difficult season, you won't see him as someone who can heal your pain. You won't see him as someone who can redeem what it is that you're walking through or transform your life in the middle of that. But also, if you do not see him as personal, you will see him as a God who does not grieve what you're walking through. You'll see him as a God who doesn't understand. You won't see him as a friend and as a comforter, as the Bible calls it. So notice what David says when he's walking through this difficult season. He says, the Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. He is both powerful and he's personal. He walks with me and he guides me and he can transform or redeem this thing in my life. Now, it's pretty sobering that, that God refers to himself again as a shepherd. In fact, a lot of the Jewish people could not accept Jesus because they thought he was too weak that they couldn't understand a God who is that personal. Now, it's true, theologically speaking, that God had to be both powerful and personal to sacrifice and for his sacrifice to be sufficient. And what I mean by that is he had to be powerful in the sense that he had to be fully God. But he had to be personal that he was fully man. But do you ever think about this, that Jesus could have come to this earth and died as a teenager, but yet there is story after story for 33 years of his life. He is blessing. He is serving. He is healing. He is meeting the needs of his people. Why? Because he wants you to know that he is a powerful God, but he is a personal shepherd. He is a good shepherd. Now, if the Bible refers to God as a shepherd, do you know what that makes us? Sheep. And that is really not a compliment when you think about it. In fact, have you ever seen a sheep up close? Like sheep are great in children's books and they're great on TV, but when you get up close to sheep, they are dirty, they are dingy, they are gross, and dare I say they are dumb. 
And God goes, hmm, this reminds me of some people I know. <laughs> now, uh, if you watch sheep, in fact, you know what's interesting? Do you know what uh, sheep are the most mentioned animal in the Bible? Most mentioned animal. There are 200 mentions of sheep in the Bible. Do you know what the second most mentioned animal in the Bible is? Any guesses? Donkeys, close. Somebody, dogs. Dogs is a great guess. Dogs are third. The second most mentioned animal in the Bible is actually horses. The third uh, mentioned uh, animal is dogs at 40 mentions, and there are zero mentions, and I repeat, zero mentions of cats in the Bible. <laughs> and all of God's people said... Amen. I have a feeling I'm going to be getting some emails after this one. That is two weeks I've insulted cats. I'm sorry if you're a cat person. I'll find something else to pick on. But you know, if you ever watch sheep, they're not the smartest creatures. In fact, uh, I don't know if you see this, but you can watch video after video. There are videos of sheep and there are shepherds that are trying to rescue sheep and they just keep doing the same thing over and over again. It's ridiculous. In fact, I just want to show you one video of a shepherd who actually rescues his sheep and then the sheep goes back to the same spot. Check out this video. Wait for it. Wait for it. Whoop. <laughs> God goes, these are my people. You know, Philip Keller actually wrote a book. I'd encourage you if you want to dive deeper into this psalm. It's an amazing insight. It's, it's a shepherd looks at Psalms 23. And one of the things he speaks about is not many of us are shepherds. So when we read about shepherds and sheep, we don't really pick up some of the things that the people in this culture and context, a shepherd in this day would pick up on. In fact, did you know that a sheep, if it is actually near water, it will put its head in this white water, the rushing water. And what will happen is sometimes the water is so fast and the sheep doesn't care. If it sees water, it will go towards the water. And sometimes the water is so powerful, it will knock the sheep over and it'll fall in the water and drown. Other times the sheep will stick its head in and its wool will get wet. It will get dizzy and disoriented and it will fall in and drown. And the other thing that he speaks about is that, that a sheep, when it is anxious, it will not lie down. If it's anxious about not having enough food, if it senses a threat around it, it won't lie down. It will keep standing up. And yet, listen to what it says in Psalms 23, 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And notice this, it says he refreshes. Some versions say he restores. He restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Philip also speaks about in this book that if a sheep falls over, it's kind of like a beetle. It can't get back up on its own. And so it will literally be sitting there trying to, to move and wobble like this. It can't get over. And if it stays on its back for 24 hours, it will be killed. And so what a good shepherd will do is it will see that this sheep is on its back. It will come and flip it over. But what happens is if the sheep is on its back for a long period of time, then there'll be certain spots on that sheep that are dead or numb. 
And so what he will do is he will rub those spots and he will restore that spot by bringing circulation and get the blood flowing in that area. Sound like someone you know? What God does as the good shepherd is he finds people who have real wounds. People who sit in services and sing songs about Jesus but have dead parts in their soul, numb parts in their soul. He finds people who believe the lie that they are destined to carry this dead part in their heart for their entire life. And what he does in his kindness is he speaks a healing word. What he does in his kindness is he gives a transforming touch and he is the good shepherd who restores our soul. See, vacation will not restore your soul. Your job will not restore your soul. A spouse will not restore your soul. Your kid's future, although important, will not restore your soul. Financial security will not restore your soul. The good shepherd is the one who restores your soul. And what he wants to do is to find those areas in your life and bring healing. And that's why David says, I lack nothing. I want nothing because I have it all. He causes me to lie down in peace. Even this, notice that in verse three, it says, he guides me along the right path. Some versions say he guides me along righteousness. In this book, Philip Keller also speaks about the fact that if a sheep starts wandering off too far, that what happens is after a while, if this sheep keeps wandering off, it will be killed because a wolf will get it. It'll be picked off. And so what will happen is a good shepherd will do something that seems inhumane at first. It will actually break the sheep's legs. And what it will do is this shepherd, this good shepherd will carry this sheep for three months on his shoulders. He will feed it. He will guide it. He will lead it by still waters. He will help it lay down. When the flock moves, he will carry it. And then after three months, that sheep has learned the voice of the shepherd. He has learned that his shepherd is good and he will not leave. And notice what it says. He leads me in paths of righteousness. So even sometimes the little bit of pain we are allowed to experience in our life is always for greater intimacy. Even if what you're walking through is not because of anything you've navigated, the promise here is that God will guide you and he will lead you and he will restore your soul if you are faithful and everything, even the setbacks in life in the goodness of God become setups for greater intimacy with him, amen? And so we get to this place where we see that we don't have to lack because we see God is powerful and personal. That is the starting point that David invites us into. The second principle of how to hope when it hurts is this. We both hope and we grieve. We both hope and we grieve. Now, what I love about this particular psalm is David doesn't pretend like everything's great. You ever get around like really spiritual people that in the middle of bad things, they move so quickly to giving you a Bible verse? Oh, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or Romans 8. See, sometimes what we've got to do is we don't like feeling things. But again, as I mentioned, a lot of us have an underdeveloped capacity for healthy biblical grief. And if you don't deal with those things, see, your past is not your past if it still impacts your present. And there's some people who move so quick that they still carry the past and it's like an open wound every time they go. And so the kindness of God is to invite you into those spaces so that he can restore your soul and really bring healing. But to do that, that means you have to actually grieve some things. You have to sit in some things. And so that's why if you don't grieve, you rob yourself of your humanity. Remember what it said about Jesus? 
that he wept at certain times, that he sat with people, that he grieved. But you don't just grieve, you also hope. Because if you don't grieve, you rob yourself of your humanity, but if you don't hope, you rob yourself of your divinity. That God can use that thing in your life, that he can bring restoration, that he can bring healing, that he can bring hope. I love what this says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Notice this word asleep. A lot of times the writers will take out death and they will use the word asleep to show that because of Christ's victory over the grave, death does not have the same sting. And so in essence, they call it going to sleep because you might go to sleep on this earth, but you wake up instantly in the presence of Jesus. And so it's a sign of victory, but notice what it says. So you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. So you grieve, you sit, but you also hope in the middle of it. See, if you're going through a difficult time, you grieve the fact, if you've lost a loved one, you grieve the fact that there's one less chair around a table. You know, if you're going through a difficult time and a child is falling away, you grieve the fact of what they are walking through. You know, I got a text message from somebody in my uh, previous church Uh, Right down the street from where our church was, was a senseless and stupid, a senseless and stupid act. It was a shooting where nine people in Allen were killed. And we don't move so quickly into the middle of Romans 8.28, we grieve. This was never what God intended. We grieve the cancer report. We grieve the marriage struggles. We grieve the financial difficulties. But in the midst of that, we never lose hope. We don't lose hope because God can redeem that. God can restore that. God, as a powerful God, can actually use that for greater intimacy. And make no mistake about it, we have hope because we know, according to Revelation, there will be a day. There will be a day where there's no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. Amen? And so we can grieve and we can hope. I love what one pastor shared He had lost his daughter. She was six or seven. She had an asthma attack, and she actually died in his arms. And he was talking about that that one morning he was spending time grieving. He said he was praying to God, and he was just grieving, and he was telling God, you know, I'm 365 days away from being with my baby girl. I miss her, and so he started grieving. He said in the midst of that moment, God actually spoke to him. The Holy Spirit encouraged him, and he said, I want you to know you're not just 365 days away from seeing your daughter. You're 365 days closer to seeing your daughter, closer. So you grieve. You don't pretend things aren't happening, but you hope in the midst of that, and you have to remember that whatever it is that you're walking through. The third thing is this. You have to remember that the most central promise in the Bible The most central promise in the Bible is I will be with you. So if you're going to hope when it hurts, you have to remember this central promise. Now out of curiosity, how many of you are type A people in this room? The driven people. Okay, type A people, you're you're the type of people that, uh, you know, you multitask. You brush your teeth while getting the kids ready and paying the bills at the same time because one would be too easy for you. You watch TV while you're reading a book. You're the type of people that, you know what, like, you, you will run over a small child to be the first in the cashier's line because there is no shame in your game. But you know what I find interesting about type A people? Type A people, do you know that, that it wasn't a psychologist that actually really made this term type A popular? It was a doctor, a cardiologist. It was a guy by the name of Meyer Friedman in the 1950s. 
And he, he basically came across this term type A because what he noticed was, one of the colleagues pointed out, that in his office where people would wait, they noticed that the, the chairs were worn kind of in a unique fashion. And they weren't worn like holistically in the back, they were just worn on the edge. And they were uh, worn on the edge of the seat and the edge of the armrest. And so he started to realize that as people came to see him, this cardiologist, that people were literally sitting on the edge of their seat in fear. And he, he started to trace that some of the people who were most at risk of heart disease were actually people who were type A personalities. Now, the truth is you don't have to be a type A personality to be sitting on the edge of your seat in moments of fear. In fact, all of us, when we're navigating difficult things, we all know what it's like to have fear. In fact, do you know what the most repeated commandment in the Bible is? Do not fear. Fear not. The most repeated commandment in the Bible is fear not. But do you know what the most repeated promise in the Bible is? I will be with you. Isn't it interesting that God's most repeated commandment to his people is fear not? But his most central promise, his antidote is what? I will be with you. So notice what, notice what David says as he's walking through this difficult season. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil because I am strong, competent, and smart. No, it does not say that. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, notice this, I'll fear no evil. Why? For you are with me for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Interesting, the Bible, as you're aware of, was not written in English. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and uh, the New Testament was written in Greek and Aramaic. But interesting, Psalms being in the Old Testament, it's written in Hebrew. There are 55 words in Psalms 23 in the Hebrew. 55 words. Do you know what is at the very center of this particular Psalm? The very center are those five words, for I will be with you. The central part of Psalms 23 is I will be with you. Why? Because it's the central promise of our faith. No matter what season you are walking through, even in seasons when you doubt he's there, because a lot of times if you really grieve, what happens is you feel like God is not there. But when you slow down long enough and you sit, what you realize is God was there at the very center. You might have just missed it. It's so the central promise is God will be with us in the midst of this. The fourth point I want to make is this. The way that we hope when it hurts is we believe that something better awaits. Something better awaits. Now, I'm going to have a moment of vulnerability with you guys. I'm going to trust you here, all right? Last week, I was sitting on the couch with my son. We were watching TV. I was laying next to him. And then all of a sudden, I just felt his little paw, and he started poking my stomach. And then he asked me this question. He said, Dad, why is your stomach so much bigger than the rest of your body? <laughs> and um, I hear my wife in the background laughing, much like you just did. And you know what I told my son? I told my son, do you know why my stomach is so big? It's because of Christians, people like the Brookwood folks who feed you at every event you go to. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, brunch, snacks, everywhere there is food. And the reason I tell you this is there's a story of a lady who actually found out she was diagnosed with terminal cancer. She was given three months to live, and so she met with her pastor, and she started planning this funeral. And she said, hey, I want the service to go this way. I want uh, this person to read the scriptures, and I want to be buried with my favorite Bible. 
And then on the way out, she looked at him and she said, also, there's one thing I want. It might be a little weird, but I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. And he paused for a second. He said, yeah, that, I've never had that request before. And you know what she said? She said, every time I go to a church event, every time it seems there's always food. And one of my favorite moments is whenever they would clean the plates, someone would say, hey, keep your fork. And I loved it because I knew that meant something better awaits. And I'm not talking just about dessert like jello or pudding, she said, I'm talking about biblical food, cakes and pies and ice cream. <laughs> and she said, I want people at my funeral to look at me and go, what's with the fork? And I want you to tell them that there is something better that waits for them, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I want you to tell them the hope that we have in Jesus. So the funeral, they start preparing for it. She passes away a few months later. People go to this funeral and they start talking about how beautiful the funeral is, but sure enough, everyone starts going, hey, it's a great funeral, but what's up with the fork? And it's said that that pastor looks at that community of people in that room and he said, the truth is, this is not just a day of sadness. This is a day of celebration if you're in Christ Jesus because something better awaits. That there will be a day when God will wipe away every tear and every pain and every suffering. Listen to what David says, Psalms 23, 6. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. This is what he closes with. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Is that true of you? It's interesting, this Word here for follow in the Hebrew, it is too weak in English as it's translated. It literally means to chase down or pursue. Notice what this says. Surely goodness and mercy will chase me down my whole life. Surely your goodness and love will be the two steps that follow me, that track me down, that hunt me every step of my life. And so wherever you are this morning, I just invite you, there is a hope that you can have if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. In fact, what I want to do is just close out with the time of you to respond to God. In fact, if you would, would you just close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment? Because maybe as I'm speaking this morning, you're not certain if something better awaits. You've grown up in church, you've been around church, but you blink and life is over. And if you're in this spot and you don't know if you really know Jesus or you're disconnected from him or you're in a spot where you just say, you know what, I'm not certain I'm a follower of Jesus, then what I want you to do right now is if you would just raise your hand. You don't have to talk to anybody. I just want to pray for you right now. Praise God. Praise God. And if that's you that just raised your hand, here's what I want you just to repeat in your heart. God, I thank you that something better awaits. God, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me. I acknowledge that I have sinned, but I receive your grace this morning. And although I won't be perfect today, today, I make you king of kings and lord of lords the day I choose to follow you. Amen. And here's what else I want to do. As we close in just a second, 
If you're in this room and you're just walking through a difficult season, maybe you're, you're going through a hurtful time, maybe it's something with your kids, maybe it's something with your job, maybe it's something, maybe it's something to do with Jerry and you're grieving that, but if you're in a spot where, you know what, you've got a loved one, a family member, you're just carrying something this morning, I'd love to pray for you. You don't have to come down front. You don't have to do anything. But I do think there's power in just stopping and praying. And so if that's you, would you just raise your hand? I'd love to pray for you. If you're in a difficult season right now and you just need some prayer. And so what I want to do, for those of you raising your hand, keep your hand up real quick. For those of you that are in the room, you don't have to touch anybody, but just extend your hand towards them. And let's just pray right now that the God of all comfort would comfort those who are in a need right now. So Holy Spirit, we come before you. We thank you that you are the great comforter. I pray this morning just very specifically that we would see you, every one of us, not the capital C church, not Brookwood, but every one of us, would see you as powerful, that you are king, that you are mighty, you are God, and I pray that every one of us would see you as personal this morning. God, we thank you that you are the good shepherd who walks with us, and I pray comfort, and I pray healing in the name of Jesus. Amen. It is so good to have you for the Brookwood Sunday Message Podcast. This week for your spiritual practice, pray for people you know who are experiencing suffering, grief, or loss. Ask God to continue making Brookwood a place of comfort for those who are lost and hurting. For further reflection, read The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis. Here's our memory verse, Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In our next episode, we'll gather for a morning of worship at Brookwood Church. To prepare your heart, read Psalm 145. Please subscribe to this podcast. And if you like what you hear, leave a review so that others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. Thanks for listening and have a great week.